You're listening to Common Bonds Radio. Hi, I'm Kelly Burley with podcast episode 13. Municipalities across America are struggling financially because of tax revenue crashes brought about by COVID-19. In June, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reported that states and localities had already laid off one and a half million government workers as a result of COVID-19 budget woes, and Moody's Analytics warns that millions of additional government jobs could be lost if nothing is done to address the economic perils of the pandemic. In Oklahoma, federal funding from the CARES Act is softening the blow, at least temporarily. But FY 2021 represents a lean budget year for most municipalities, and that's already being felt in city-run shelters large and small across the state. Common Bonds Radio visited with John Gary, Animal Welfare Superintendent of the City of Oklahoma City, about the economic impact of COVID-19 on his operation and how his team is adapting. John, we're six months into the pandemic, and I'm curious about how your budget has been impacted and kind of uh, what you are doing to adapt right now. Well, we, um, you know, we, we start our fiscal year on July 1st uh, for, for the city. We run July 1st through June 30th uh, for our fiscal year. And um, we, we did take some budget cuts due to the pandemic and uh, obviously the, uh, you know, revenue downfall that, that the city has seen and, um, we lost uh, overall. We lost four positions. Uh, three uh, of our uh, animal welfare officer, two positions, which are our, um, our officers that run calls in the field that for uh, service in the field for stray dogs, uh, bites, uh, dangerous animals, um, all of those kind of things. We lost uh, three of those positions, um, and then we lost a uh, unit operations supervisor that that oversees the animal control program. And so that was a, um, uh, you know, kind of a big loss for us uh, in the sense that uh, me as a superintendent had to take the, take that on. And, and I, I kind of manage the daily operations now of the, um, of the field services program. Um, and so it, it's definitely, um, you know, increased my workload, but I've enjoyed it. Uh, it's got me a lot more hands-on with our field program and and in the day-to-day stuff that that they our field officers do and so uh that part of it i actually kind of enjoy but at the same time you know losing positions and uh you know when we're already uh the positions that we have are are, are just so crucial to to what we do and even when we're fully staffed now we're we're short staffed and so losing positions is um is not an easy thing to, to do, but I, I feel like our staff has, has accepted the challenge. Uh, we did have to make some changes due to it. We um, uh, were, were supposed to have started a, a evening a shift for our MCO officers, where we have uh, our field officers available till 9 p.m. Uh, due to those budget cuts, we weren't able to do that, so uh, we are sticking to our uh, eight to five, uh, seven, we are still, still seven days a week, but, uh, we will not be able to go into evenings, uh, other than emergency response. We do have, uh, an, uh, officer that is on call every night that, uh, will, will go out for emergency calls after 5 PM. Um, but we won't have just officers in the field running calls after five. Uh, and that, and that was kind of our plan all along 
unfortunately that with the way things are going and we're still seeing a lot of revenue shortages and so our, our biggest fear is that we that we have to take even uh, more budget cuts than we, what we've already seen um, but so far our staff has, has handled it well and managed it well and I think we're doing a pretty good job all things considered so John you alluded to to you know the possibility that this could be a, a, a kind of a long game in terms of your budget um, so have you thought ahead thought out you know what, what happens if you're asked to make additional cuts? It's, uh, man, it's, that's a tough question. We, like I said, our, our budget is so tight as it is. Um, you know, we, it literally takes, um, every, every dime we have to operate. And so, uh, our, our field services program is typically the one that, um, sees the most, um, you know, when we see these budget cuts, they, they're the ones that typically where it gets cut. Um, just because of the on the shelter side of things, um, we have animals in our building that we have to care for, and it, and it takes every person that we have to provide the, the level of, of care that the animal needs. So um, typically that we, when we see cuts, it, it does happen in our field services program. But honestly, um, if, if we do have to take further cuts, I, I don't know what that's going to look like for us or, or where it's going to come from. Um, unfortunately for us, you know, when we take a budget cut, it's typically people. And that's just because our, our operating budget, uh, for, um, you know, the, just to operate the building and, and take care of the animals. Um, it's, it takes every dime that we have in our budget to do that. And so there's just nowhere to cut. And so typically when we take a, um, a budget cut, it's, it's, it's typically positions for us. Uh, unfortunately, um, that's what we usually see. Well, John, how important right now is flexibility um, for, you, you know, your, your staff, uh, your volunteers, all of that right now? Oh, gosh, it, it's, it's crucial. You know, we, like I said, it takes all of our staff to do what we do. And, um, you know, we have a lot of people working overtime and, and, and people, uh, you know, maneuvering shifts around and, and doing all those things just to try to cover. We ha- We have several vacancies right now. And so, Losing those positions and the vacancies on top of it have been um, have have been a, a very much a challenge, and so we do have a lot of uh, a, a lot of our employees are, are are changing their shifts and are coming in an extra day a week to try to help make up that that difference. And and fortunately, we have just a great group of volunteers that um, that just step up anytime we need it, and they've been a tremendous help through all of this and. You know they can't do a lot for our field services program, but working in the shelter, we we absolutely could not do what we do without them. And, and um, time and time again, they they step up and, and help us in so many ways, uh, and just do what we what we have to do every day. And 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 frankly, uh, you know, we we took these these budget cuts in July, in July and August, uh, but these have been our most successful July and August we've ever had in our history. So it's. I really feel like our staff and volunteers have really stepped up during a very difficult time. Talk, talk to me a little bit about the, the, the success you've had this summer. Well, you know, we, we had our highest live release rate in July that we've ever had at 89% of the animals coming in that we saved. Um, our field um, um, services program uh, has met uh, 
our, you know, we have what we call our leaders for results, which is kind of the, the city's business model. And we have targets that we're trying to hit as, as far as our call response goes. And, and our field services side of things, they have hit our priority two and priority three goals the last uh, two months. And um, that's never been done. Um, we've always, uh, with these staffing and things like that, we've struggled to hit those targets and goals that we have. I just can't describe how, how thankful I am for our staff and the way that they stepped up during the time, and especially the, the live release rate. You know, in August, we are um, right at a 91% as of this morning, um, which will be by far and away the best month of August we've ever had. Just to give you an example, last August was 82, um, and last July was 83. And so when hitting 89 in July, and now at, we're at 91 so far in the month of August, uh, these are two of our hardest months and typically are two months with two of the lowest live release rates of the year. And so um, the staff has just really, really done a good job. And once again, our foster homes and our partners that we work with in the community, the Oklahoma Humane Society, um, has really helped us out uh, despite having uh, limited uh, openings due to the COVID and, and having to do adoptions differently. They've really done a really good job of helping us through these couple of months. and then. We have so many other partners. We have over 100 other uh, groups that we work with, and they've all just really um, done a tremendous job of helping us. And then I have to give our public credit, too. Uh, our public has really um, uh, stepped up during this time, knowing that we're, we're facing a lot of challenges getting animals out of the shelter. And um, they've really kind of absorbed um some of the animals in our team. We've, we've had the two, two of the lowest intakes we've ever seen in the month of July and August. Um, uh, and, and I think that's because our, 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 our public has recognized that this is a challenging time for us and that in order to save animal lives, we, we have to prevent animals from coming here to begin with. And I think they've done a really, really good job at that too. So uh, I couldn't be happier with the way the summers went. All the, I mean, when you're talking about the pandemic and then facing budget cuts and losing positions, and for our staff and, and volunteers and partners and community just to, to make it still be two of the most successful months we've ever had it has just been um, just been unbelievable and, 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 you know, encouraging to see um, moving forward in our future that the public is really willing to, to do what it takes to ensure that we continue to save animals. John, that's really great news about your numbers. Um, I'm wondering, is there any concern um, in terms of, how, you know, um, COVID-19 is potentially impacting other municipality budgets uh, in those outlying uh, communities around Oklahoma City um, and whether any of those animals could ultimately end up at your door as a result. There, there definitely is. You know, um, one thing I, I, I love about being part of the city of Oklahoma City is that we have a very, we just have a tremendous uh, leadership. Uh, city leadership from in our city manager's office and at the council, and they do a really good job of of whenever we do face these budget cuts of, of making them very as minimally impactful as, as possible. And so um, I'm very I, I feel grateful that we have that type of leadership here in the city. Um, and I do worry about some of the uh, smaller communities who, um, you know, their their funding is already uh, short and how they how they manage this. Um, I've talked to some of the smaller shelters and, 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 and they're all, um, kind of in a, in a, in a little bit of a state of a panic right now. And, um, 
we try to help the communities out uh, around us as much as possible. You know, we have contracts with City of Dell City and uh, Valley Brook um, and Nickel Hills. Uh, we all we have contracts with them where we help them and take their animals in, and and then we also try to work with some communities around us that don't have shelters um, and try to help them out as much as possible. But there's there's there is some fear, I think, and some worry um, in these smaller communities and in and and if if this if this thing lasts very much longer, how how do they how do they continue to survive it and, and continue to save lives and and um, it'll be interesting moving forward to see how how those communities step up. Um, like I said, here in Oklahoma City, I I think our our community, the people in our community, have really really stepped up to help us, and I think those smaller uh, communities are going to need that even more so. Um, they're going to need the people in their community to, to recognize the challenges that the, the, the shelters are going to be facing during this time and, and really do what they can to, one, keep animals out of the shelter and two, provide the shelter support through, uh, you know, donations and volunteering and fostering and all those things that, that it takes for a shelter to be successful. And, and um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. And I, once again, I, I do feel like here in Oklahoma, while it has not been good, there, there are a lot of other places that are a lot worse off than we are. So I, I do feel thankful that um, we have just, you know, like I said, great community, great volunteer support and, and great partnerships with a lot of uh, different nonprofit groups. So at the same time, John, that you and, and other municipalities are really having to, you know, tighten the budget belt. Um, there's this growing concern uh, nationally that we're going to see a wave of evictions this fall uh, impacting people who have lost jobs because of COVID. Um, how worried are you about those evictions impacting pets and, and ultimately leading to an increase in your shelter intake numbers? Well, it's definitely concerned. We already see a, um, you know, we visit with people daily on, on bringing their pets to us because, um, you know, landlord doesn't allow or they're moving or, or whatever the case may be. And so anytime, you know, you get uh, people losing their homes and, and pets are involved, um, you know, a lot of times they end up in your lo- in the local shelter. And so um, we, we are a little concerned with it. Um, I, I will say the vast majority of people, um, you know, love their pets, and they're going to do whatever they can to keep them together. And and what one of the things that we'll we'll try to do for as many as possible is rather than the animal end up here in the shelters, uh, see what we can do to provide resources for those people, whether it be um, through our you know our pet food bank, our um, our spay neuter services, uh, and do what we can just to try to you know assist them in any way possible to try to keep the pet in the home. And um, we'll, we'll we'll see how th- things go come the fall, but you know we'll, we may have to look at our programs as well and see if there if we have some programs that we can help um, maybe through fostering or, or just help people through these difficult times whenever they are um, you know in losing their homes and and having to move and find a new place. If we'll see what we can do to maybe uh, help transition them, like I said, either through um, services like pet food and things like that, or just a you know a temporary foster place for that for their pet until they're able to get you know resettled wherever that may be. 
John, I know you tipped your hat uh, to uh, the public and, and all that the community is, is doing to step up and help um, help the shelter right now. Uh, is there, are there some specific things that, that, um, that they can do as, as we go forward? Well, I, you know, definitely, um, you know, I know financially a, a lot of people are, are, are not in a good spot right now, but the people that are able to donate after we donate, um, those, those funds um, really help us provide things for the animals that they may not get otherwise, things like uh, specialty foods and veterinary care and um, those kind of things. And then um, the gift of time is probably one of the best things that the public can, can give. If, if they're able to volunteer, um, you know, a lot of people are at home right now and, and, and working, either working from home or temporarily laid off and at home, uh, open their home to fostering. It's, it's, it's one of the most rewarding things that, that you can do. And, and it's something that is just a huge, huge help to us. Any animal that we can keep from being in the shelter is a good thing. And, our foster program, we typically have anywhere from four to 500 animals in foster at any given time. Sometimes we've had as many as eight to 900 uh, in foster. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, those are things that people can do. And the great thing about fostering, too, is, is um, it's no expense to them. We provide food. We provide veterinary care. It's really just about providing the animal a place to, to live temporarily either until the animal's um, well enough or old enough to, to be adopted out um, or just to get them out of the shelter for a little while. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, when we have animals, especially our long-term animals, it's just good to get them out of the shelter and give them that different environment and, and allow them time to, to, to not be as stressed as, you know, because as, as good a job as we try to do in the shelter, it's a very stressful place for the, for the animals. And even the, the, top shelters in the country that have every kind of program there is for animals, dogs and cats get stressed in the shelter environment. And so it's just a, a great thing that they can do. And, and I, I feel fortunate. We've seen a tremendous increase in fostering since, uh, since the whole pandemic started. And, and that was from day one, whenever we, uh, you know, late March, whenever we all decided, you know, had to start closing uh, programs down and our doors down even for a little while and limiting people in our building and all those things. We saw a, a dramatic increase in fostering during that time, and, and that's continued throughout the throughout the seven months. And so, those are things that the public can really, really help shelters do um, by getting just getting involved in, in in whatever it is that they can give, whether it be a small amount of money or time. Or the fostering is 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 big time for shelters right now. Well, John, as you uh, continue to adapt uh, in the current environment, uh, wondering if you have any updates you can share on the new shelter for OKC. Well, we're, we're cutting on pins and needles a little bit, waiting on that. You know, obviously, we're, we're very excited about uh, and so about the new shelter and so thankful that the, that the public felt like that was an important thing for our community. And um, But... Um, at, the, they formed the committees. You know, COVID-19 uh, has really slowed that process down a little bit. Um, but they have formed the uh, MAPS 4 committee that will uh, kind of help uh, oversee projects. And, and, and they'll also put together the, um, the priority for the projects. Um, as, as most people know by now, there's 16 projects uh, as part of the MAPS 4. And, and so... Right now, we're still uh, waiting on that committee to um, determine the priority of those projects. Where so we'll find, figure out where we fall 
Uh, obviously, we're we're hoping that we're on the we're on the front end, but I, I think that committee is, is is a good committee, and they'll do a really good job of evaluating all the projects and making sure that um, you know that they're placed in the in the proper order. And so, um, we, we're hoping that we get some news in the fall about where we fall on the priority, and then and then we'll know a lot more as to kind of a, a timeline of when to expect to to get the new shelter uh, going and, and completed. John Gary is the Animal Welfare Superintendent for the City of Oklahoma City. I'm Kelly Burley. Common Bonds Radio is made possible by the partners of Common Bonds, including Lab Rescue Oklahoma, Peaceful Animal Adoption Shelter in Benita, and T-Town TNR, working collaboratively to end the needless euthanasia of cats and dogs across Oklahoma.